Do you think that in externalizing our intelligence and improving it, if it's possible as well, beyond human intelligence, that we're then making ourselves maybe second-class beings to our own creation? Uh, that's a really, that's a really good question. Actually, I really like that. And that's that's a very philosophical, <laughs> abstract question. I, I, I do like that. This is something that um, you know a lot of people in philosophy and in this field have um, spoken about, um, and it's one that's hard to answer. Hi everyone, my name is Lauren Hawker Saffer, and this is Redefining AI. Redefining AI, it's a podcast hosted by Squirrel and the Squirrel Academy. The podcast focuses on key narratives and discussions that drive digital innovation and help people understand artificial intelligence, machine learning, insight engines, and the insight era. Now, today I'm really happy to welcome Oriana Medlicott. Now, Oriana is a senior researcher in the technology strategy unit at Fujitsu, and she's a co host of the Let's Chat Ethics podcast. Now, as a senior researcher, she contributes to shaping the technology strategy through technology market analysis and research, finding startups to partner with, as well as organizing events and external partnerships to promote research and development in areas such as AI ethics, digital twin, data and security, and many more. As someone who is passionate about making technology accessible and ethical, prior to her current role, Oriana worked as an AI ethics consultant in the US and Europe. Before she joins us though, I want to lift the veil and invite you to take your first steps with us into the space of AI and ethics. Just a few years ago, discussions of data ethics and AI ethics were mostly reserved for non-profit organizations and passionate academics. Today though, global tech companies like Facebook, Twitter, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and many more are creating dedicated and fast-growing teams to tackle the multitude of ethical problems that arise from the far-reaching collection, analysis, and use of huge troves of data, particularly and well-knownly in the field of machine learning models, namely AI. These companies are investing in answers to one mystical, to one's mystical ethical questions, because they've realized quite simply that failing to operationalize data and AI ethics is a threat to their bottom line. Not doing this can expose companies to reputational, regulatory and legal risks, but that's only the beginning. Failing to operationalize data and AI ethics also leads to wasted resources, inefficiencies in product development and deployment, and even an inability to use data to train AI models at all. Now, the topic and space is fascinating and it can be explored from so many different angles. So let's start finding out more from someone who spent many years exploring those angles already. Welcome, Oriana. Thank you so much. Thank you for that long introduction. I was really, really keen to hear what you're saying about um, ethical AI and like you're saying, the backgrounds to it and where it is today. I think it's 
been a very fast-moving uh, field and fast-moving um, topic. And I think this is it's way more in the limelight now than it was just even a few years ago. So it's interesting to even have these conversations on podcasts like yourself and, you know, in now forums such as workshops and panels. I think a lot of people want to hear about this subject compared to even five years ago when it was kind of not in, in the spotlight at all. Definitely. And let's go um, from the present to the past a little bit, Oriana. So where are you on your own journey and, and how did you end up here or how did you end <laughs> up there? So um, it's, I guess it's maybe a more uh, non-traditional route into um, tech per se and the job I'm doing now. So my background, uh, I studied history as an undergrad with philosophy and then I got really interested in the philosophy of technology when I was doing my undergraduate. So I decided to continue on and do a master's in philosophy again and um, I was really with my um, professor at the time kind of debating which direction to take my thesis on and he cleverly said that um, you know the future is AI and technology definitely focus your thesis on that because I'm sure one day it will influence the work you do or the job you have and obviously when you're a student as well sometimes it's hard to think (laughs) way into the future about your career especially when you're studying something like history and philosophy that doesn't have a one route to a job so um yeah I I decided to look at the effects of um, biotechnology and artificial intelligence on human nature um specifically looking at the ethics of uh, both biotech and AI Obviously, there's a lot more and there was a lot more um, at the time literature on um, biotechnology and the ethics because everyone knows a lot more about bioethics compared to maybe AI ethics even then. Um, And I got really interested in, you know, maybe kind of the abstract ideas of can you download um, a machine into the human brain into the machine and um, could, you know, robots or computers ever actually have human intelligence, um, which was kind of very abstract in many ways but I got very (laughs) interested in those topics and then when I finished um, quite honestly there wasn't any nine to five job in this field at all as you can imagine Um, a lot of people were just like what what is this (laughs) and what what, what do you want to do and I I didn't really feel at the time that I wanted to continue in academia I felt like a PhD um, at the time didn't feel like the right path for me so I am. Um, I just I go into the business world. Was working in HR and operational roles. Always knew they went really for me. Um, and I, in the background, was constantly keeping up to date with what was happening in AI and tech. Um, and I moved to New York, and I knew that if you can make it anywhere, <laughs> it will be in in the US or in New York. So I just started networking a lot and um, finding you know think tanks and people that were having conversations in. AI tech ethics and started to find different communities that were and kind of just pitched myself um, as a freelancer. Can I, you know, do a workshop for you? Can I do some research for you? Can I talk to you about this? And from there, I kind of built a network and started um, doing my own um, freelance work in AI ethics throughout the US and then Europe. And then that's ultimately what led me to my job at Fujitsu. But along the way, I started a podcast as well, actually, with. Um, with a friend we were co-hosting a podcast called let's chat ethics where we discuss different um topics and she's coming from the computer science angle and i'm coming from the philosophy angle so it's kind of nice to have both different um 
outlooks on AI. So that's kind of um, a fast, <laughs> fast, fast and long story to how I kind of got to where I am today. But um, yeah, it's been it's been a really interesting journey because it's enabled me to work with loads of different, really fascinating and clever people in different areas who are interested in making, I guess, technology safer and more accessible. Excellent. I mean, it sounds fascinating. I mean, you've sort of highlighted or trying to paint a, a, a wonderful and inviting picture about the roads that you've travelled personally that have <laughs> led you to this point. Um, I have to go back, I think, and, and actually touch upon philosophy and technology. Philosophy and technology, it, it sounds extremely inviting, but what does it cover, philosophy and technology? Mm, so I guess it's looking at those um, questions about approaching um, the ways we think about technology. I guess it's the way you understand yourself and how that's approached. Like I was saying, thinking of intelligence and human intelligence and can that be compared to, um, you know, the intelligence of technology? Artificial intelligence is what we call it. So I think uh, a lot of people put a lot of... Um, I guess maybe dreams and hopes on AI that is going to conquer and take over the world in, in a positive way and going to solve all humanity's problems and giving it that kind of maybe far too much placement on our understanding of intelligence. So I think like philosophy anyway, there is no right or wrong way to address life questions, but I think it brings a lot of the life questions and human questions to technology um in what you could say good and both negative ways definitely I mean there's probably multiple parallels that we can explore but I also want to touch upon I mean there's probably a parallel that you've had to split yourself between of like being a philosopher or and someone that's more aligned from an ethical perspective or maybe you don't sort of split yourself where do your own obligations or moral compass lie in that sense mm, I, I feel like philosophy for me was um I, my my I've met, I met up with my professor recently he, he said that I'd like to um ask the tough questions a lot of the time or put people he's like oh I remember you know putting me on the spot or um asking <laughs> maybe some of the the tougher things of why you know people do things they do or why things are the way they are and I think that's why I I liked philosophy because there's a lot of questioning of well why should it be like this should we not shape it this way or um you know thinking outside the box um a bit more because I think sometimes people think that philosophy doesn't or the skills you learn don't um relate to maybe business skills but they do because it's a lot of um a lot of ways of thinking, critical thinking, critical thought um, that you have to apply, I think, in business. And I, don't, I don't find myself having to necessarily split that. I think I've just, I've had my morals, I guess, from probably shaped from a lot of us have our family and friends and the people around us. And then the society that you're actually, that you're brought up in definitely influences what you believe is right and wrong. And then I found that philosophy just helped me think a bit more critically instead of taking everything like as is you know oh okay that's just the way it is it's thinking well why was it made that way or why does it have to be that way so who who could that potentially be affecting and um just going a bit more debating of things which I think is ultimately what a lot of AI ethics 
has led to is questions questions of the end the end user of right or wrong and then thinking well just because it was made designed like this in the past and it benefited x amount of people why can't it be done differently now so um I hope that wasn't too much of a tangent but to get into a philosophy hole not at all. I mean, there's, I think my my own head's going down a, a philosophy or a philosophical rabbit hole as well. And it's I think easy to that, do. <laughs> I think it's something as well that you probably explored quite a lot. I mean, you mentioned that you've got your show called Let's Chat Ethics, and you focus a lot on the discourse around ethical AI. And I think I also read that you explore it from maybe two contrasting discourse and angles, namely sort of the humanities against techies and the responsible philosophers against the mad scientists. And (laughs) I think you're trying to bring from what you mentioned, a more balanced view of a variety of topics surrounding ethics and tech. Is is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That is is kind of, um, so Amanda and my co-host and I, well, we kind of laugh because it should be, her versus eyes and we've she's come from the technical computer science background I've come from more humanities philosophy backgrounds and it is more traditionally that it's um kind of being computer scientists think oh philosophy is a waste of time they're all kind of crazy and then philosophers think oh my god computer scientists are ruining the world (laughs) they don't care about anyone themselves like this kind of um pitching each other against each other but actually I found that a lot of the time Amanda and I end up having a lot of the same opinions when it comes to AI ethics. We um, actually had the same outlook really on most of the problems that arise in tech. And that's why we try to bring it a bit more balanced because um, she has got that much more deeper technical knowledge that she's been actually, you know, working with natural language processing and data sense practically for years. Um, but yeah, I'm also able to bring in the ethical side and looking at um, what, you know what problems could arise what could they think of doing something differently those kind of things and we've brought on guests as well that have different backgrounds as well that aren't just um one or the other people who've got different balanced views because I think that's important when you're looking at AI ethics it's not just philosophy and computer science either there's so many more um I guess stakeholders that would be involved in this anyway Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you always try to maybe, and I probably imagine that you did that together, look at how it comes to maybe a common understanding or a common interpretation of what is ethical around AI. Um, Maybe before we go too deeper into the conversation, I mean, we're talking a lot about ethics, what could be possibly classified as ethical AI or what's important there. what would you say you're focusing on from your perspective in the reach that we're sort of defining when we're talking about ethics, ethical and, and AI? Mm, yeah, I think because it's important when you look at ethics put in, I guess, c- context of um, where where you're from as well, because there's going to be different um, understanding of, I guess, right and wrong and good and bad and what's ethical and not, depending on your cultural backgrounds um you know we in Europe can have a different understanding necessarily than China and that that's very obviously when it comes to even um a lot of regulation to do with AI um how it's viewed is differently and things that um, we here might think are you know wrong 
someone in China might think is fine and they might think what we're doing is wrong. So it's important, I think, that that's why a lot of the conversation at the moment is to open up more of a worldwide narrative. But a lot of the conversation also is, is there ever going to be a point where worldwide we can all come to a consensus on ethical um, understanding of technologies? I think there's certain things we can all agree is is completely wrong, i.e. if a technology or an AI causes direct harm such as you know death um like with the autonomous driving car i think that's something that worldwide they can agree on but then it's you know the it's other things that become a bit more um uh, i guess murky waters that is harder for people to to necessarily agree on so i think the work i do is interesting and the work my company do because again it's a japanese company but um so it might be argued that we could be japanese uh, perspective on air ethics but i think it's more of a um, way more cultural nuances because you know the Fujitsu covers worldwide they have offices everywhere so it's important for Fujitsu's AI ethics to reflect everyone that works there as well as um, you know the business they're doing in different countries. And do you find that a lot of these cultural nuances I mean obviously we're talking about maybe background and I mean ethics pertains to a set of moral principles or a form mm-hmm. of conduct and we can see that it is maybe, and again, I think that leads down another philosophical, philosophical <laughs> um, debate of nature and nurture and how you how you embody ethics. And I suppose mm-hmm. that's different in a business setting as well. Have you noticed that there's identifiable nuances for certain cultures that you see parallels with other cultures, or is is it just slight? Oh, I would say, I think, um, I mean, I would say the uh, ethics in Europe and the US seem to be more aligned, like there's a bit more nuances and I think there's more agreement in, um, you know, how things should be done. I mean, take away regulation, because I think regulation is obviously very different in Europe versus the US when it comes to AI and tech. But I think when it comes to the AI ethics kind of principles and guidelines, they do see a lot of, um, I guess, cultural values align but then it I guess it's because the USA is um you know largely got a big European population that's migrated there over the years so I think that makes sense as to why you know the cultural and ethical values have got those um similarities but um yeah just to use China again I think is China's um an obvious one in terms of just the differences um Mm -hmm. in in approach to I guess technologies even such as facial recognition where um, it's widely more accepted in in China and it's part of kind of everyday life now but it's openly part of everyday life whereas I think it's got more of a negative outlook in the US and in Europe on facial recognition that's reflected in policies and regulation Um, but we still have it here we just it's maybe just a bit more (laughs) It's not as open about it, which is, I guess, an, an interesting subject in itself. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I was going to actually follow up in there because I think that if we're looking at the development, you've mentioned facial recognition, um, which is obviously one. I mean, we're talking about different branches of maybe computer vision and different emerging techs that a lot of the larger organisations, smaller organisations as well, are using. I think that... you know worldwide it is difficult to maybe set a framework that would adhere to cultural practices and morals but I think that 
when you mentioned there, we're looking at things like transparency, accessibility, explainability, inclusiveness, alignment. How far do you feel that the field is in terms of everything that I've highlighted there and obligations, maybe from an AI development perspective? I feel, I feel like um, if we go back a bit, I think it's come a long way. So from my perspective, I think even, which to me is quite a short space of time, really, that um, I finished my master's in 2015 and now we're in 2022. And then there wasn't really, any, there were barely any guidelines. There wasn't really what you see now at all. And then in 2022, I think the OECD reported, I think there's, um, I think there's over 60 countries worldwide have, guidelines and principles and policies to do with AI ethics and I can't I can't remember what the exact guidelines but there was a huge amount of guidelines and policies now on AI ethics and those principles that you were specifically mentioning and I do think actively worldwide everyone is really in whether that's public sector private sector I think they are actively trying to embed ethics into a lot of the work now that's not saying it's perfect. So I still think that there is a long way to go. And there's, you know, people make criticisms such as ethics washing and um how how um how true are people when they're is it you know publicity stuff basically. Um but I do think that from my perspective, I think it's come a long way and there's a lot of positive work being done. And even in academia now, there's loads of amazing work being done in in this space. And I think um there's there's still a lot lot to go and it'll take a while to align I think like you're saying it's going to be it is a new field realistically so it's not going to be perfect and it's going to take a while to align um within private sector public sector and academia but I think it's 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 on the right track but um, obviously there's always going to be unfortunately pitfalls like we've seen um with different scandals that have happened coming out of companies and things like that Mm. And you definitely don't want people jumping on the bandwagon, as you've mentioned, of doing ethics just for the sake of ethics. I mean, I think that if there is that conscious investment, that there should be these ethical obligations that are set so that there is the fair development of um, AI. Mm-hmm. If we look at the the development, though, and everything that's produced or being produced in the space that pertains to an ethical obligation... And when we think a lot about, and it's publicised quite a lot in the press about AI algorithms and, you know, training data and that these are the main cause of maybe unethic Mm -hmm. sort of sources or, I mean, they may contain biases as we go down the philosophical route of humans contain biases. Mm -hmm. I mean, and these are generated by humans. and these biases, they sort of prevent the AI systems from making a lot of maybe fair decisions that we've sort of inexplicitly referenced there. What are the reasons then for encountering biases in AI systems? I think, yeah, like you were touching on there, I think the the problem is um, when it comes to bias and uh, bias algorithms or data sets or people accusing, again, I think facial recognition is a good example, but, um, you know, not being able to detect darker skin tones or wrongly detecting um, people um, 
with darker skin tones because it hasn't been trained on the correct data. Um, so I think that it's easy to blame facial recognition, but actually you should be blaming really this human behind this at the end of the day. And the, the data is picked by humans. So this this trained on data and that was decided by humans. So I think it really goes down to the human element of bias. Like you were saying, if there's bias in a human, they're going to have bias when they're choosing the data, which is going to be then fed into the system, which then is going to, the output will unfortunately be biased. I don't think we can ever get to a place of no bias because I think, unfortunately, in society, there's always going to be bias in everything we do. I think that's kind of part of human nature. But we can get to a point where it's actually making it way more equal and fair. So i.e., if you have a team that's more diverse, you are going to ha have less likely to have those decisions because I think, as we know, tech has predominantly been very male and white orientated um, mm -hmm. for years, and it still um, is. So I think if you've got more diverse teams, you're going to have more likely to be like, hey, we should have training data that involves people from different ec ethnic backgrounds involved when we're doing this for facial recognition. So I think it's important to build teams that are diverse as well as I think training. So I think training is important as well um, as part of the process, just like um, in HR, you have kind of diversity and inclusion training and um, there are lots of different trainings that you're given in the workplace. I think bias training it, when it comes to data should be part of it as well as, you know, giving that kind of overall ethical AI training, which is looking at all the, the things that can happen when you're um, using these systems. I mean, I completely agree. And I think it's definitely a good idea to ensure that there is the offering of bias training. But do you not think that it is more of a subconscious movement? I mean, do you think that you can really target that sort of bias or minimization of biases through bias reduction from a perspective of training? I mean, just thinking about, like, as you mentioned, the, the human psych. And I think that I would agree that in a sense that I don't think you can fully eradicate or stop the inclusion because it, we are human. But I'm just thinking a bit more of really being able to address that subconscious arising of bringing biases in. I, think, I mean, yeah, yes and no. I do think bias training is important because there are many there are many things that, um, if you live in your your own self, which we all do, we all have our own, I guess, privileges as people, um, whether that's, you know, a white privilege or... Um, Able privilege or um, even just having money as a privilege and that's obviously been your um, your view and understanding of the world and landscape so I think it's very you know you can't even necessarily blame people that they might not have thought that um, something affects someone from a different background in a different way and that could in turn affect how you train data so I do think um sorry you train models with data so I do think that um bias training is actually quite important I've I've known even for myself just you know reading different books that um have been from you know not necessarily in philosophy or tech but have been about different people's lives and the way they've had to navigate the world opened my eyes up to how um how different my life has been and what bias I might have had um in my way of thinking so I do think it 
even if it's something small that you may not have thought of, but going to this advice training actually can really open people's eyes to um, the way things are done. Like I said, it's never going to completely eradicate because I, fortunately, I don't think we live in a perfect world and I don't think we ever will, but I think that you, there can be steps that companies can do to ensure that the people that, that work for them are, um, are making the right choices. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, that I would certainly fully support what you've said there. Um, do we only need to look at the human? Do you think that there's any flaws in the development of the technology, which is a sort of roundabout skewed question as well, because obviously humans are developing the technology. But is the problem with the human? Um, <laughs> okay, that is, I mean, yes, I think you would argue that yeah ultimately yes because i think the the human is the one designing or um, developing or deploying the technology so unfortunately yes it would be I, I mean i don't like to say the problem is the human because i think we all um, when it comes to like models or training models like you have to everyone's going to make mistakes aren't they i think that's part of again human nature and part of uh, the way the world is we're all going to make mistakes and that's another thing i don't think that necessarily every um model or any type of technology has come to the market has necessarily been an outward um someone's tried to cause harm or someone's um completely completely biased even though there are cases of that yes i think there's also just people making human error and human mistake which is a common part of what we talk about in ethics is like human error and um the different elements that that causes and People saying that there needs to be human oversight on on technology, which it does. But again, humans are always going to make mistakes. Unfortunately, there always there will always be flaws with technology, like there will with um, anything we design, because we're always going to kind of trial and error in many ways. Um, but like, there are definitely steps that can be taken to improve. Yeah, and I think that a lot, not only the public sector, but in the private sector, they've gone through the experience of really finding out what those errors are and try mm -hmm. to actively sort of improve and make sure that those are minimised. Yeah. I want to touch on, on, on something um, at the end of our conversation here. I mean, you brought it up at the start. We spoke about intelligence and we've been talking a lot about artificial intelligence um, intelligence it obviously has an effect on on the human spirit intelligence per se and ai and the effects on how humans perceive themselves and i think this relates back to you know the purpose and identity of humanity and that is something to do with our intelligence it stems back to obviously a lot of the uh, greek philosophers and, and what they believed do you think that in externalizing our intelligence and improving it if it's possible as well beyond human intelligence that we're then making ourselves maybe second-class beings to our own creation uh, that's a really that's a really good question actually i really like that and that's that's a very philosophical <laughs> abstract question I, I i do like that this is something that um you know a lot of people in philosophy and in this field have um spoken about um and it's one that's hard to answer is AI necessarily or um, more intelligent than us, um, or is, or is it? Um, are we putting too much? I guess, um, like I was saying, too much. What's the word? Fame onto AI, almost giving it way too much more credit than it deserves. I think 
ultimately, yes, a automation of things. And, you know, they've had given the examples of AI reading, um, I think it was like law text within seconds that would take lawyers hours and hours to read and kind of defining as that, oh, so that's way more intelligent or that's, you know, the AI is so much better than the human. Not necessarily. In the end, it's just really automating processes, I think, enabling <laughs> humans to make, I guess, more efficient decisions. Like I was saying, not always is that the correct way. But um, I, I think the intelligence that humans have cannot be put into a machine. I think that some argue that it can and it will and that, you know, the argument of robots taking over the world or, or computers, but I, I don't, I personally don't believe that human, the type of intelligence we have in our brain cannot be put into a computer. I think that's maybe coming from like, again, the ethical, good and bad, moral understanding, human nature cannot be into machine because even they've had the examples recently of um models where they've uh you know put into the moral um understanding so plugging into the model is it good to um kill someone and the model's like no is it good to do this and it starts giving ratings kind of a yes no but it doesn't have an actual understanding they've just labeled data and (laughs) i think that's the problem i think it's maybe giving too much um credits to AI not saying that AI isn't it doesn't help us and isn't amazing in some aspects but it's to me it's not the same as human intelligence Mm -hmm. is that because like would you say that there's then a a component of the emotive that's wrapped into intelligence that can't be trained yeah I think it's also like a contextualization that we're and we're able with our brains to understand um the context of things and the context of language, the context of the world, whereas if the, com- the computer and the model is only able to understand, I say understand in quotations because I don't think it, it can understand, it's only able to do what it's trained to do really. And then obviously it can automate and get better. And obviously it can do some amazing things out, but it's not able to understand in the way we are. Um, which is yeah, it's getting into this philosophy rabbit hole. But we no, have... <laughs> it, it reminds me of that film as well. Have you watched the film Ex Machina? Yes, I love that film. <laughs> yes, I mean it's a very sort of uh, famous film where there's the whole uh, philosophical debate around um, if she's able to fall in love or not, or if she's mm. able to understand the situation. Mm. And at the end, you, she obviously makes a decision that you might not have expected she would have because of her previous decisions that she was trained to make. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, uh, for anyone listening that's not watched it, it's maybe a, a good path mm-hmm. to follow um, yeah. after listening to this. Sort of watch that film and, and see if you can make up your own mind. <laughs> yeah. I also, there's also one on channel that was on Channel 4 years ago called Humans. It's a similar, it's a similar type one. It's a series, but it's about these kind of robots that look like humans. And then there's a part about relationships and, you know, an actual human potentially falling in love with one and, you know, whether they can feel and understand. And the other one is Her. I don't know if you've seen that film, Her, where the guy has a relationship with the robot over the phone, basically. But I won't give everything away, but it's... No, I've not, I've not heard of that one. Maybe I should look at that one as well. Yeah, these are all ones that when I was doing my dissertation, my everyone was like, oh, you need to watch that. And, of course, um, 
what's his name charlie uh things black mirror black mirror is always a <laughs> yes, yes black mirror is always a good one <laughs> that is true and did you have any conclusions after watching all of those or did uh, they pertain to what you've just shared kind of pertained i think yeah i think some of the conclusions um well i think they they reiterated to me more the fact that it's, it's an interesting idea to explore that you know could a robot could you have a relationship with a robot could you feel um you know i guess almost like how you do with a pet with a robot but but taking it to that level of um giving it a human identity and i again came away feeling like i personally don't see that as something that's i just don't see it the same as having a relationship with a human <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, it's the whole role of intelligence and maybe the segmentation of what is intelligence and what belongs to intelligence and all the different types of intelligence. Mm-hmm. And for me as well, I mean, I think that the ability to emotionally interpret and emotionally engage in a situation it belongs highly to, to what is classified or what could be determined as intelligence or um, being regarded as intelligent. Exactly. Exactly, yeah, and I guess our humanity in general, I think human nature is like one thing that, um, you know, even I guess if you compare us to animals, we are still different beings and then comparing it to machine, it's man-made, so it's completely, I think, completely different, able, like they're not able to have feeling. So, I mean, people might, people argue they do, so <laughs> this is my opinion. <laughs> but I don't think that we'll ever have a time where machines have actual feeding like humans and animals. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's been fascinating. Um, but we're sort of out of time today. Maybe we can take up another discussion on another episode. But I want to thank you for your participation and for sharing your insights with us today. It's been valuable. Um, would you like to share any part in words or anything else with the audience? Yeah, no, thank you. No, thank you so much for having me on. It's been really fun and some really great philosophical questions. It's nice to actually have these conversations to do with philosophy because I don't often actually get to do these more <laughs> more abstract um, ideas and understanding. I don't really talk about it as much anymore. More, I'm more focused on the AI ethics principles these days. So it's nice to have this kind of discussion and I think um yeah anyone who's interested in learning more feel free to reach out to me because I think these are always I'm always open to having these kinds of conversations with people and about philosophy or AI ethics so yeah thank you so much no thank you so I want to thank everyone else for listening today and if you want to find out more about Squirrel and the Insight Engine then go to the Squirrel Academy on learn.squirrel.com and access our educational material thanks